Welcome to the Let's Ditch Misophonia podcast. I'm your host, Brooklyn, and I'm sharing how unconscious reprogramming helped me eliminate my own misophonia after more than 20 years of suffering. I'm also sharing how I support my clients using the same tools and modalities to help them lessen trigger sounds, alleviate the suffering they experience from misophonia, and create more joy in their lives. My degree in communication, coupled with my training and certification in working with the unconscious mind, creates a coaching environment with a unique approach to get you results. So with that being said, let's dive into the show. Welcome to another episode of the Let's Ditch Misophonia podcast. In today's episode, we're going to be answering a question that one of my clients recently asked me, and they asked this question inside the Let's Ditch Misophonia community. So in that community, we have a monthly Q&A session where they can ask any questions relating to the resources for that month, any questions in general on their misophonia relief journey, and get some one-on-one support from me. And this was one of the questions that was asked for our January call, and I want to share it because I think it's a really good question, and I know that if they're thinking this, other people likely are as well. So I want to dive into that today. And before we get into the episode, I also want to share with you, and I will link this in the show notes, I want to share with you an interview that I recently got to do with Sarah Bidler and Cresta Dalrymple. Dalrymple, I hope I'm saying her last name correctly. Um, I got to do an interview with both of them. They have started the Misophonia Freedom Project, and I'm reading this straight from their website. It says, we are on a mission to find and interview those who have found their way to freedom from misophonia, as we both have, in an effort to identify themes and hopefully help people streamline the process. So These are two people who also support people who experience misophonia, had it themselves, cleared it themselves, and are working to help people find that same freedom. This is really exciting to me because when I first started this work coaching people who experience misophonia back in early 2023, I really struggled to find and connect with others who were leading this work. I struggled to find people who found their freedom from misophonia. So Getting to connect with both of them, it was very inspiring. It gave me a lot of hope. And something that was also very interesting is they approach misophonia differently than I do. There's some overlap, there's some similarities, and there's also some differences. And that is amazing because different modalities work for different people. So knowing that you have more options out there than ever before is really, really exciting to me. I'm happy to connect with them and just help people find more options to find relief from misophonia. The three of us know just how taxing it can be and how much suffering can be associated with it. So getting to lead the way and, you know, find relief for ourselves and then share that with other people is just really, really exciting. So I will link to that interview in the show notes. It just kind of goes through my story, how I was able to eliminate my misophonia the steps that I took, the modalities that I used, it's just, it goes through a lot of, a lot of key points. And they asked some really, really good questions. And like I said, I'm very grateful that I got to chat with them and I will link to that in the show notes. Alrighty, so let's dive into the question that I'm answering today. And again, this came from a member inside the Let's Ditch Misophonia community, and I wanted to share it here as well. So the question was, 
How likely is it that someone will not heal from misophonia? So seeing this question, I first first wanted to ask them a clarifying question. And so I responded and said, hey, what's motivating you to want an answer to this question? And their response was, I've tried everything, so I'm afraid that nothing will work. Maybe you have an answer that can give me some hope. So there's a couple things that I want to touch on for this question in particular, but the reason why I asked, is there a motivation for you wanting an answer, is because if we approach misophonia relief with the mindset of, I've tried everything and nothing works, then in that sense, you are right. You've tried everything and nothing will work. So if you go into it expecting that you aren't going to get any relief, then you likely will not because you've already shut off the possibilities available to you. And like I said, meeting Sarah and Cresta, I met two more people who were able to clear their misophonia and now are helping other people. And I didn't even know about either of them until later in 2023. So I thought that, oh, there's no one else out there. And I was wrong. There were more people. I kept searching and networking and connected with with more people. So when we say, you know, oh, I've tried everything, there really is so much more available to us than ever before. When I was growing up with misophonia, misophonia wasn't even the widely used term. It was still selective sound sensitivity syndrome at that time. And it took my mom a couple of years to even find a name for it. So now that we see misophonia talked about on social platforms, on TV, from celebrities, It's being researched more and more. There really are more resources available than ever before. And I also understand that it might truly feel like you've tried everything because suffering from misophonia, it can take a toll on you. It's exhausting. And even if you've only tried a couple things and it hasn't worked, that disappointment from from trying something and, and not seeing success from it, it can make it feel like you've tried six, seven, eight, nine, or 10 things versus just a couple. And I'm not, this isn't like passing judgment or or anything like that saying like, oh no, you haven't tried everything. This is just me saying, I completely understand how this mindset is framed. And this was me for a very, very long time feeling like nothing would ever work. And I was going to be stuck with this for the rest of my life. I even told my fiance this as well at one point about how this was something that I was going to battle forever and ever. And I think he mentioned that in the interview that I did with him as well. So if we go into misophonia relief thinking that, you know, nothing's ever going to work, then it may be more difficult to find relief because your mind isn't going to be open to additional possibilities for healing. The other thing that I wanted to touch on with this question is, you know, how likely is it that someone will not heal? I don't have an answer for that. And even if I did, let's say that I was like, oh, one out of 100 people will never heal from misophonia. Even if I had that statistic, would me giving you that information be very helpful for you? Probably not, because all it's doing is showing mind that in theory, right? I don't actually have any numbers on this, but in theory, it's showing that, oh, one person out of 100, well, that's probably going to be me, right? I actually, in this um, this program that I'm in, I went to this live conference in California back in December of 2023, and we did this spoon bending exercise, and the facilitator said, 
there are going to be people in this room who aren't able to bend their spoon. And that's completely okay. And going into the exercise, I literally, like, I was like, oh, it's going to be me. I'm going to be the one who can't bend the spoon. And I did end up bending it, which was incredible to me. But I remember in the meditative state that we were in when we were working to bend the spoon, I remember playing a trick, if you will, on my mind. So if I say to you right now, don't think of a blue tree. What just happened? You probably thought of a blue tree because the unconscious mind doesn't really process negatives. So when we say don't picture a blue tree, your unconscious mind is hearing think of a blue tree. So I decided to play a trick on my mind during this meditative state and I kept telling myself, don't bend the spoon. Don't bend the spoon. You can't do it. Don't do it. Don't bend the spoon. And what happened? I ended up bending it because my mind was hearing bend the spoon, bend the spoon. So going back to my original point, me sharing a statistic of how many people never heal, even if I had that number, which I don't, it likely wouldn't be very helpful because all it would be doing would be providing you evidence that healing is not possible. Now, if I said 100% of people heal, maybe that might be more useful for you, right? Because it's evidence that it is possible and it is going to happen. And also, I don't have those statistics either. What I can tell you, though, is that you won't find relief if you don't keep searching for something that works. So if you try one or two or three things and you don't see any relief and you stop there, then you are going to be one of those people who never heals inevitably, right? Because you've stopped taking the steps toward relief. And I know that the more things that you try, it can become more challenging to continue moving forward. But one thing that I will suggest that is very, very helpful and useful in your misophonia relief journey is to recognize and celebrate even the teeniest, tiniest little wins. So for example, what I share with my clients inside the Rewire Misophonia at the Source program, that's my signature eight-week program, is I actually encourage them to physically document any positive shifts that they notice in their experience with misophonia. So let's say that when you sit down at the dinner table, you make it 10 seconds in and then you have to run away and eat by yourself in a room. So you've only lasted 10 seconds. Well, then after doing the work to rewire this pattern, now you're able to last 30 seconds at the table. It's such, it seems like such a minuscule shift, like, oh, it's just an additional 20 seconds. But that is evidence of progress. That is evidence that the work that you're doing to reprogram your mind is working. And what happens is when we celebrate those 20 seconds, we show mind, oh, we like this. We want more of this. And where our attention goes, that's where our energy goes. So if we want to foster and create more growth and more progress, then it makes sense to celebrate that progress every step of the way. No matter how small, no matter how big, every shift we can celebrate to create more of those wins. So on the other side of that, we make it 20 additional seconds and we're like, oh, well, I still had to leave the table, so I guess it's not working. Now mind views that progress and is like, oh, they don't like this. Okay, let's create less of this. And so you'll go back to, okay, well, now it's only 10 seconds. Maybe now it's only five seconds at the table. Whereas instead, when we can celebrate, again, even if it's a teeny tiny shift, celebrating every little step 
it's going to snowball in a really beautiful way until you get to the point where you're sitting down at that dinner table, you're clearing the plates, you're clearing the table, and you realize that you forgot to notice those chewing sounds or you forgot to notice, you know, whatever other trigger sounds might be associated with eating with family or loved ones or friends or, or whomever. So celebrating your progress along the way, and I have a whole episode about this as well, can be so, so helpful and useful. And physically documenting it is also key because as human beings, we have a really, really amazing tendency to discredit the work that we've done. So we we tend to forget about the progress that we've made or we tend to normalize the new reality. And so it seems like we haven't come very far when in reality we've made these amazing strides. So when you physically document it, when you find yourself in those moments of doubt, when you're like, oh, is this really working? I, I still can't do X, Y, and Z. So it's, I don't even know if this is worth it. You can flip back through that book or that note on your phone or wherever you're keeping track and you can show yourself evidence of, look, no, this is working because two months ago, this is where I was and now this is where I am today. This is huge. So you have that physical evidence for yourself as well, which can be so helpful in motivating you to continue the work to continue to create even more of that progress. Another thing that I like to share with my clients too is how useful it can be to normalize being okay around noises. So I've shared this in previous episodes before, but I think it's helpful to mention again, I've had clients where they'll be on a call with me and I will make their trigger sound and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm okay for the first time. I'm hearing this trigger sound and I'm completely okay. And it's amazing. They're so excited. And then a week later, it can feel like they're back to square one. They hear that sound and it's like they're triggered all over again. Why is that? Unconscious mind isn't really super excited about change, creating and maintaining change, because unconscious mind's job is for survival. That's its primary directive. It's not really interested in personal or self-development. It's interested in keeping you alive. So if you currently are surviving, if you're breathing, you have food, water, shelter, you're at that base, change, even if it's good change, like more money or a bigger house or a better job, it's going to seem scary because your unconscious mind is like, whoa, 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 we're surviving. We're just fine. Why are we changing anything? And so you might feel skepticism even toward good change and maybe not consciously, right? So you see a lot of lottery winners and they're consciously very excited about all of this money. And then maybe a year or two later, they're more broke than before they won the lottery. Because unconscious mind is like, whoa, it is not safe to have this much money. This is new. This is different. Like, we need to get rid of it. And so they find ways to spend it. And they're not doing this consciously most of the time, right? They're not like, ooh, I just, I, I don't want all of this money. I need to spend it. Because if that were the case, they probably wouldn't have played the lottery in the first place. So even though this change seems good, like, oh, I'm not bothered by the sound anymore. This is amazing. Unconscious mind is like, this is, this is new. This is weird. Like we're used to being frustrated, angry, panicked. Why are we not panicked when we hear this sound? And so it may kick you back into that old pattern. So another thing that we can do that's so helpful along the journey is when we do experience these trigger sounds and we're okay, to take a second and really integrate that regulate our nervous system and show our bodies and our minds that it's okay to be okay. 
really normalizing and integrating that sense of safety so that new pattern we're installing really sticks and becomes the new normal. The new normal, excuse me, I put a B in that word for some reason, becomes the new normal so that not only are you creating and experiencing change and transformation, but you're creating and experiencing lasting transformation. I have not had a true misophonia response to a sound since February of 2023. So at the time I'm recording this, we're coming up to almost a year. Now, like I've said before, there have still been some sounds that have annoyed me or bothered me from time to time, but they have not caused me to feel panic, rage, frustration, like I needed to run away. In fact, one trigger sound that I I cleared, it actually showed back up around Christmas time. And we were at uh, my fiance's family's Christmas, and one of the members of the family was really loudly um, making a trigger sound. I try to avoid mentioning too many triggers. I know I've mentioned some in podcast episodes, but I try to, when I remember, make sure that I am not mentioning specific triggers because I don't want to, you know, cause a trigger for, for anyone else. So let's just put it this way. There was a family member making a very obvious and loud trigger sound. And I remember leaning over to Doug and saying, you know what? That's actually kind of bothering me a bit. And he asked that family member to, you know, like stop making that sound. And so for me, it was one of those things where I'm like, yeah, that is kind of annoying. But again, I didn't feel rage. I didn't feel disgust. I didn't feel panic. I just leaned over. I said, Doug, this is kind of bothering me. And he's like, oh, well, let's just ask them to stop. Like he just took care of it which I could have done as well, right? Or if I wanted to, I also could have just existed with that sound. It wasn't an instance where if it didn't stop, I was gonna have to leave or put in earplugs or anything like that. It was just me having an awareness of, oh, I still have some work to do. This is a particular trigger sound that I could do some more work on. So it's recognizing that, it's having an awareness of, oh, this is bothering me. But instead of beating my mind up for it, instead of saying, Oh, well, what the heck? I thought I cleared my misophonia. Why is this bothering me? Instead of, you know, shaming my mind for bringing that to my attention, I'm like, oh, okay, I have an awareness of this and this is something that I can continue to shift. So there are on occasion where sounds, like I said, they're so bothering or they may be annoying, but it's not causing a misophonia response. It's not fear, disgust, panic, anger. I get to exist and still be in the present moment, even in the presence of these sounds. And like I've said, most of them I don't even notice anymore. And so in fact, when I do have situations where there is a sound that maybe is bothering me, it does still bring me a sense of joy because it's like, it it reminds me how far I've come. Because when you do experience healing and transformation, like I said, as human beings, we have an amazing capability to really take for granted the amazing changes we create every day in our lives and the amazing authority that we have to really experience the reality that we want to live. We really are the creators of our own realities and we often take that for granted. So when I do hear a sound that is sometimes bothering or annoying, it does give me a sense of joy because it's an opportunity to step into gratitude for how much work I've done and how different my life is today than it was a year ago, two years ago, three years ago. And also that awareness gives me an opportunity to continue doing the work alongside all of you. Again, I'm really grateful that this question was asked because I think it sparked a really amazing 
conversation. And that's why in my programs, especially in my signature program, Rewire Misophonia at the Source, we really start with secondary gains and the identity around misophonia. So we tackle those beliefs or patterns that might be keeping you stuck in that misophonia response. We release those first and then we dive into the reprogramming work. So rewire misophonia at the source. I'm currently in the middle of round three. We've already had some transformations experience just going into rounds one or just going into weeks one and two, which is amazing. And the next round won't be launching until the end of March. However, if you want to get support from me now, check out the show notes. I highly encourage you to jump into the Let's Ditch Misophonia community. Inside the community, you get monthly resources, so things like meditations, trainings, workbooks, the tools you need to really integrate the work and rewire the way that your mind processes sounds so that you can finally get relief. We have monthly Q&A calls, so again, your opportunity to get questions answered, some one-on-one support, and also dive deeper into the resources for the month. And if you aren't able to join us live, there's always a recording that's available. You also, of course, get community with other people who know exactly what it is that you're going through. And all of this is designed so that you can lessen your trigger sounds and alleviate the suffering you've experienced from misophonia. I also wanted to design this as a monthly membership because this is a low ticket way to get familiar with me as a coach and the modalities that I use. So you get to kind of really test drive and see what coaching with me is like before committing to a longer term, higher ticket program. So it's a way to get relief. It's also amazing if you don't maybe have the time to dedicate eight weeks to a program. This is something where each month you get these resources to implement, you show up for a call and you can start to create that relief without having to commit large amounts of time to this journey. So I really wanted it to develop it as a way to get familiar with me and my coaching experience relief and just see what unconscious reprogramming is like and how it can support you on your misophonia journey. So I encourage you to join us. The link for that will be in the show notes. I'll also link the wait list for my signature program and I will catch all of you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Let's Ditch Misophonia podcast. I couldn't do this without your support, so be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Doing so helps others find this podcast and start their journey to relief too. And of course, if you'd like to continue working with me, always check the show notes for the latest updates on the programs I offer, and you can visit rewiremisophonia.com. Catch you in the next episode.